I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. Mimi Crow joined me from quarantine in Miami, Florida for this next series of episodes I like to lovingly coin the COVID Chronicles. Mimi is a self-proclaimed oil brat who was born in Mexico City. She ditched a pre-med career path early on and instead moved up to Vancouver from Texas in 2006 to pursue a film career in the assistant director department. Since then, she's worked on films including Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Alien vs. Predator, and the Fifty Shades of Grey films. Most recently, she is a second AD on the CW hit television series Supergirl. We discuss the pace of working on TV shows versus films, the difference in American and Canadian onset lingo, and what it's like being a woman working in film. As an aside, I will say it's pretty rare to catch film crew not working, like shooting star rare. So given these strange times, I figured the next best thing is probably talking about it instead. Enjoy. Welcome. Hello, Mimi. Hey, Colby. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Ventropolis. Good to be here. And you are my first remote guest in my, uh, I started coining these, I think, the COVID chronicles because everyone's out of work. Nobody's out on set and it's, I can just like get as many guests as I want until everybody goes back. So you're my first guest with the COVID chronicles. Welcome remotely. Wow. Thanks. Uh, It's an honor. I guess we're all kind of learning how to do things remotely these days. I know. And you're in Miami, right? I am. I'm in beautiful Miami, although it is raining right now. It's very, it's raining? It I is. Sent, it's raining. I sent that for you from home, from Vancouver, in case you were homesick. Oh, thanks. I am a little homesick. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy place to be during COVID. Like, totally different world. I mean, we don't need to get into politics and stuff, but at least you're by the beach and by the ocean. Uh, yeah, I can uh, see South Beach from here. It was kind of crazy. Um, I hadn't planned to be down here. I, we had a little break uh, on shooting our season. So I flew down to uh, see my husband. We have our place down here. And I was here for maybe about five days. And then the, basically the world shut down. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be stuck, might as well be uh, in Miami with my husband. So I've been here since. Yeah, there's worse places to quarantine, right? Than beachside in Miami. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So I'm super excited to have you here today. I know, um, you know, we've got so much to get through in terms of all the shows and stuff that you've worked on, but I always love to start with the journey, like where you were born and how you grew up and how you came into film. So why don't we start there? Because I know it's an interesting story with you as well. Um, Yeah. Okay. So um, I was born actually in Mexico City. Uh, My father is uh, from the United States. He's from Texas. And my mother is Canadian. She's uh, from Quebec. My father worked for an oil pipelining company, so we traveled a lot. I grew up mostly in South America. I lived there for about 10 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, quite a, quite a different upbringing for sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And then, uh, yeah, then uh, I went to, uh, I started off in college in the States at Texas A&M University as a pre-med student. And then after about two years, realized uh, it wasn't my passion. So I transferred up to Bishop's University in Quebec in Lenoxville, became a theater major, and uh once I graduated from there, I uh, moved back to Houston, Texas, because my family had relocated there since I had left for college. And um, I figured with a theater degree, I'd probably end up, you know, waiting tables or bartending. So as I uh, faxed out my resume, yes, faxed, we did that back then. <laughs> um, I uh, somehow managed to dial, the, uh, I guess, the wrong number. And I got a call to do an interview. They just gave me an address and said, we're a production company. And I figured maybe food production, factory. I had no idea. I'd sent out so many resumes. And uh, so I showed up the next day to the interview. And lo and behold, I was standing outside the Fox Studios in Houston, Texas. Whoa. Yeah, complete, complete mishap. But it actually turned out for the best. I walked in, had my interview. They hired me on the spot as a production assistant. And that's basically where I got my foot in the door into film and television. And it's been, gosh, that was 2004. So 16 years that I've been working in film. So that's, just to back it up, like there's so much in there. I I just, I could like spend three hours asking (laughs) you about Texas A&M because that is one of the most revered schools in North America, if not the world. 
what what made you switch from med school? Like that is such a leap. And um, I've had another guest on where they were a lawyer. Josh Blacker was a lawyer and then took the leap into acting. Were you afraid? Did you just know it was the wrong thing? Well, I mean, in high school, um, I was really big into theater. Um, I actually was an actor. I absolutely loved it. and But I had always seen it kind of more of like a passion. I was big into sciences as well. I was a total science geek um, growing up. So um, I did. I wanted to be a doctor, uh, an obstetrician, um, deliver babies. But uh, my uh, freshman year of college, I actually got quite ill. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And so I spent a lot of time in, in the hospital. And um, after going through that, I kind of realized that's not where I wanted to have my life focused around. I just really didn't enjoy the environment and how people are treated. So uh, basically, um, after being so ill, my parents kind of gave me free reign to do what I want. And uh, I said, I want to switch over to theater and I want to move to Canada. So that's how I ended up in that. And you landed. So when you were when you came into Vancouver, what year was it? It was 2006. Okay. And did you know much about Vancouver or about film here or anything? I knew absolutely nothing about Vancouver. So uh, going to school in the East Coast, uh, I made, you know, most of my friends at uh, university there were actually from the West Coast. And they were from uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Island, Whistler. And they had always said, you you would love the West Coast. It's beautiful. Because while I lived in Quebec, my biggest problem was the snow. I hated the cold. Did not like freezing my little butt off outside waiting for the bus or whatever. So they had really talked about it. And then when I decided to uh, go ahead and pursue uh, Keep in Film once I started in Houston, there wasn't a lot of work in Texas. So basically my choices were L.A. And I had also heard that Vancouver had quite a thriving film industry. So I kind of looked it up online and well, being Canadian uh, and having a previous um, condition, I was like, well, I get, you know, the health insurance, so why not try Vancouver? I've heard it's beautiful and it has what I want to do. So I just packed a duffel bag and literally got on a plane a couple of days later and showed up. That's amazing. And your friend, uh, oh no, not your friend. Yeah, James McMurchy, same thing. Jumped on a plane, right, with a duffel bag. Like, this is, this is how these stories start. <laughs> That's oh, am- totally. I literally... I slept on that duffel bag for about a month until I could afford a mattress. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And you lived above the Cobalt, right, in Vancouver, which is like a dive bar. I totally did. So when I had decided to move to Vancouver, I mean, I literally researched for a couple days before I just upped and left um, to move there. So I found I was looking at, you know, youth hostels, somewhere to stay for a couple days so I could find an apartment. And it said it had this place listed. It's above the Cobalt. And it said Main Street. And I was being naive and figured, oh, Main Street, that sounds like a downtown kind of cool spot, so I'll just book that place. Well, lo and behold, as the cab dropped me <laughs> off at 11 o'clock at night from the airport, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? You're like, this is um, a different and, Main Street than I was thinking. Oh, totally. I was like, all, I went straight in. Actually, uh, a very sweet homeless man helped me carry my bags up the four flights of stairs. Amazing. Um, and then I got on a payphone and called my mother and crying, was just begging to come home. And uh, no, she said, stick it out. And We've I'm all had in. those moments, right? Like I remember being in England living and crying on a payphone. Like crying on a payphone, <laughs> I feel like is a right of, if you haven't cried on a payphone, I feel like you need to, you know, get more adventure in your life, right? Oh, absolutely. Although I don't know how many payphones you can find these it's days. It's true. Well, if you're crying in a payphone now, shit's really bad because there's not <laughs> yeah, even payphones. Exactly. <laughs> so you're living above, you're living above the cobalt and were you, you had roommates? Uh, at the cobalt, I, I was living with a, uh, one of the roommates, yeah, it was like a shared accommodation. So there was a, uh, an Australian guy who was a chef who was there on a visa trying to get a job in a restaurant. And then also a um, gentleman from New Zealand who was actually um, a Maui. A Maori. Maori. Um, awesome. So, yeah. It's a very thick accent. Uh, we use a lot of hand gestures to communicate. Yeah, all the and, Commonwealth uh, in one apartment. Oh. It was, it was pretty hilarious. So we, you know, hung out, went and found jobs, but I knew, um, all I could find was a job at a grocery store. Yeah. I ended up being a cashier, which was not what I wanted to do, especially when my manager was about five years younger than me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I started looking on Craigslist, uh, for an apartment. And like I said, I thought I'd be there for a couple of days. I was there for a couple of months. 
Wow. And, uh, anyway, I saw the listed on Craigslist that said uh, three film guys looking for fourth roommate. That's and destiny I was like, That's right there. My in. Yeah. Because yeah, no one was hiring me, even though I was applying for film jobs, because no one knew my name, knew my reputation. I had no. It's such a hustle, right? For, exactly. You kind of need to know someone to get in. So yeah. um, I went, met them, moved in. And sure enough, after living there for a couple of weeks, like four in the morning, I get a knock on my door from one of my roommates going, Hey, hey, one of our. Uh, production assistants can't make it in this morning. Do you want to come work? So I just hopped out of bed and 20 minutes later, we were in the location van headed to the set of um, Alien versus Predator 2. And just just for those of you listening, like getting a knock at the door at 4.30 in the morning or 4 in the morning, not an abnormal thing in film, right? <laughs> uh, no, that's pretty normal. You, it, the calls come at any time. You never know. They come when they come and you say yes. Alien versus Predator. So you, so there you are. You're like your first day in Vancouver on film as a PA, and you walk into that. Yeah, it was pretty. It, I mean, it was great. I was used to film sets. I mean, that was a bigger one than what I had worked on in Texas. Right. And uh, basically, the production assistant. You know, you watch equipment so no one you know steals anything, or you you pick up the garbage and you help the crew do miscellaneous activities. Um, but one of the big uh, kind of hurdles for me was uh, the lingo. So the lingo right. the film industry uses in Vancouver and in Canada in general is a little bit different than how they use it in the States. Oh, For interesting. Example, yeah, give me an example. When we get all the actors ready in the morning where all the trailers and the hair and makeup and wardrobe trailers are parked, um, in the U.S., they call it base camp. And, you know, they say report to base camp or that's just the terminology for it. But in Canada, they call it circus. So I show up there on my first day. <laughs> what does like that say about guys. us, Mimi? What does that say about us? I they're going to base camp like Everest in the States, and they're going to circus here. Circus here. Yeah, which it does kind of feel like that sometimes when oh, you yeah. actually start running that area. But probably more no accurate. they were talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely more accurate. Um, but yeah, I had no idea what they were talking about. So I was like, a circus? Oh, this is amazing. I, I guess there's like a circus set on this. We're going to be shooting like in a big top or something. <laughs> Like, no idea. And then they actually show me where I'm going. And I was like, oh, total letdown. You meant base camp. Yeah, you like, meant base camp. This is a boring camp. area. They're like, uh, <laughs> no, they're like no, we meant circus. And you're like, here we go. Here yeah, we exactly. Go. So <laughs> it was Canada versus the U.S., curve. right? Canada versus the U.S. on Alien versus Predator. Oh, totally, totally. You know, ironically, though, in Canada, um, at, at our circus, there's an AD trailer where the assistant directors work out. And they just call it the AD office. Well, in the U.S., the AD office is actually called the clown room. Oh, interesting. So they kind of cross over. Right? The way there. There's yeah. circuses and clowns, but they never meet each other. They never pass. Yeah. It's quite funny. <laughs> so how did you find being a PA, like, you know, here on set? What was it like for you? Were you just jamming or was it a bit of a struggle? Um. A little bit of both. I was jamming in the sense of I had already gone through all the steps in the U.S. I had been a PA and I had moved up the ranks to key set PA and moved up to an assistant director. So when I moved to Canada, because it's a different uh, guild, Directors Guild of Canada versus of America, um, none of my uh, credits would transfer. So I had to basically start all over from the bottom. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew what I was doing. So that made it easy when they would tell me activities or say, we need this, we need that. I knew exactly what they were talking about. Which really helps, the, right? Like that, having some time on does. set. You know, people come out of school and they've had no time on set. I would say that's a huge disadvantage, right? Because it's got a cadence that you really have to fall into that rhythm of. It really does. It's a, a lot of uh, what you do is about timing. But like I said earlier, it's all about also the lingo. Um, yeah, Just yeah. things like people don't really have time to explain stuff. So no. if someone says, hey, go find, you know, John the Grip, you're on a crew of 300 people. You have no idea who John honest you just showed up and no one's going to tell you no so but sink you know, or swim once, exactly once you have the experience you're like okay a grip usually has this equipment on his belt they usually hang out in this area with this kind of uh, stash and then you kind of find your way like okay i'm looking for a guy that looks like this and then eventually so knowing those things it made it easier for me i was like okay i kind of know what they're talking about you're like but nancy drew on set film school oh totally <laughs> which i believe is also shot in vancouver <laughs> yes ironically i think they shot the pilot i don't know i think yeah they're still shooting it so so what I've, you know what did you do after this one like obviously there's a bunch you know but what was your did you have kind of a turning point for yourself in in some of these where you felt like man i'm really moving up i'm getting in in with the system here Oh, absolutely. Actually, I started right there on Alien vs. Predator 2. Um, so I was a PA there for about maybe two weeks when someone kind of looked over and was like, oh, 
you're an assistant director, aren't you? They could tell I actually had the experience uh, from the States. And I was like, yeah. They're like, okay, well, uh, tomorrow I'll show up for a second unit and be the assistant director, be the trainee. So immediately they could see that I actually kind of knew what I was doing. So hopped in right away. And then from there, I luckily didn't have to go back to PA because a lot of people, you have to PA usually a couple of years before you get that jump. And I was there just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I went on to a couple other shows. I went and did um, a bunch of Stargates. Um, did Which was such builds. an institution here, Stargate. Wow, yeah. that right? Huge, that was a big one. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that, but that was a huge one for Vancouver even before you, right? Oh, yeah, way before me. Um, and I didn't really know it when I was working on it. And now, uh, years later, and looking back, I was like, wow, that was like, you know, an iconic show. It was for us, totally. So, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's a Smallville yeah. as well. That was a big one with Superman. That was a Tom big Welling. one. Which is uh, kind of interesting because, I mean, towards, we'll get into later, uh, where I end up in my career now is in the superhero universe. I so. know. It was foreshadowing. But, oh, totally. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went from Stargate to, uh, we did a season of Bionic Woman, and then which actually got shut down. That was 2007 because of the big writer strike that happened that shut down the entire city. Right. The Writers Guild of America strike. Yeah. And uh, I actually got really lucky. So many people were out of work for many, many months. But uh, two days after the strike hit, I get a call from L.A. Um, their director of photography had worked with me uh, on Bionic Woman. And he was like, hey, I know this chick in Vancouver. Uh, you guys should hire her for this movie you're going to shoot in Mexico because she's actually fluent in Spanish and she's an assistant director. And sure enough, they just called me and hired me. And so I missed the entire writer strike and got to go shoot for a couple months in Mexico. So wow. What was that for? I was lucky. That was uh, Dragon Ball, the live action movie. Didn't do too well in theaters. <laughs> you know what, though? I think we, you know, and I've said with other people too, it's so much about the crew you're working with and not the show you're working on, right? You can be on the best yeah, movie totally in the world, is. but if the crew's a nightmare, it, that's all you're going to remember. Yeah, exactly. And this crew was epic in Mexico. We had so many great people, a lot of local crew, a lot of people from LA, people from Vancouver. Like it was. It was a, it, I had a great time shooting it. So. Yeah, you, you never really care what it's going to do at the box office because you're not, you don't have any vested interest in that as crew, you know, the way a producer no, exactly. might. exactly. We're considered, we're below the line. So, which is basically anyone that's not creative or more, we're technicians. Yeah, exactly. So, so you were still, this was all like, was this all second AD level or first AD? Uh, at that point, I'm at third AD level. Third. And the, it, Mimi, it's third. such a stressful job. I mean, we haven't even gotten into that. But it is like, you know, I've had uh, Gabriel Cree on here too, and he took me through the ranks. Like, it is so stressful. The assistant director ladder climbing is, you know, sh- I feel like it's shaving years off lives as you go up from third, second, <laughs> first, right? Like, it's such a stressful world on set f- for that role. Yeah, it totally feels like that because um, – you're, I mean, besides juggling so many different things on the set, you're also kind of the scapegoat. So if anything goes wrong, whether you have any connection to it or not, it's your fault. So, and it's your problem to fix. So the stress levels can be... You're, you're the master of that schedule too, right? So anything that gets thrown yes. from a loop there, you're wearing that. Exactly. And that really comes into play once you move up to, uh, say, second AD, because now you literally are in charge of planning the next day. So you say when each actor shows up, exactly how many minutes to the six minute increments, like everything's down to six minutes, how long they're in makeup, how long they're in hair, to time out exactly by the time we're ready on set and done lighting, which none of it is an exact science. I mean, things happen. It's never exactly 36 minutes. So you just get the times down and really, really hope it all works out. Yeah, like that is so stressful because a lot of it is out of your control. And then you're always living in the future, you said too, right? Like you know, on set that yeah. day, you're, you're already into the next day. Like, you don't care about today anymore. Exactly. Second AD, you're still putting out fires throughout the day, but your main focus is you're already planning the next day and making sure that you have the props are ready and the costumes are built and the uh, actors are available and they know the schedule and that the sets are built. And so you're just, you're chasing everything, making sure it's all ready. So when everyone shows up, you know, it's 7 a.m. crew call the next day. Hopefully there's no surprises and it runs smoothly. Can you remember a time on set where it was falling apart? And you don't have to say the show, but I just mean the moment. You know, like I remember serving and you would, there would be a moment where you're like, I've lost control of this night. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> I'm not going to get this back. 
and I want to go cry in my car, but I can't. It's like 9 p.m. on a Friday at a restaurant. You must have had nights like that where you went and were like, how am I going to get through this night? Oh, gosh. Um, there's so many. I'm trying to think which one. <laughs> I know. It's just that feeling in best. film, right? I know that everybody has those moments, especially in film, where you're just yeah. your feet are to the fire. And you're just like, why did I pick this job? I'm going to have a breakdown right now. And it's like five hours in, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable. Oh, totally. Uh, the stress in film, you know? Absolutely. Let's see. Um, a good one would probably be years, years, years ago. Um, I was actually working as a, uh, a third AD on this one show. And um, I only came in occasionally to cover for their regular guy. So I'd come in and uh, it's probably about 4.45 in the morning. I'm there before the first actors are supposed to show up. I'm setting up, making sure the trailers are all good to go. And I get a phone call um, only to find out that our main actor is in the emergency room. Oh, no. Um, He had had an accident and was uh, going in for surgery. So that does put a big hitch in your day. Oh, yeah. On top of that, I was a guest employee. So I have to call producers, uh, production managers, wake them all up, be like, guys, this is happening. Right. We need to change our schedule. We need, so you suddenly have to start flipping scenes, pulling scenes that were scheduled for later days. I mean, yeah. it's not just like, oh, we'll shoot this scene instead. Well, that scene might take place on a set that's actually not done being built or the right. actor you need is actually on another show that day or scheduling is so intricate and so many factors pile into it that you can't just swap things around. Like it's a house of cards. You move yes. one little piece and it will collapse. And that's why someone even being late to set, you know what I mean? Like a, like a number one, mm. you know, like a lead can just ruin the whole day, right? Yeah. Oh, it'll actually absolutely hinge the whole day. And we're on a timeline. It's not like we just keep going until we get it all. Or we say, okay, well, this is stopping time. Whatever we didn't get, we'll get tomorrow. That's usually not an option. No. It's not just that. We're on a timeline to supply it to post-production so they can edit it and get it out. But also... We have equipment rentals, location rentals, like all these things that you're paying for all the time. You don't, we don't own this stuff. Yeah. So it, it, it drives up the bill quite, quite high for production. Well, and episodic television is the sheer volume of shooting and episodes, like the shooting days. It's just, it's ridiculously fast-paced and vol- yeah. vol- voluminous, <laughs> like lots of volume, right? Um, so yeah, you can back up pretty quickly. Like in a feature, you probably have a little bit more breathing room, right? Yeah, you do in a feature. Sometimes you might shoot like a page and a half worth of the script a day. Sometimes you won't even get your first shot of the day until maybe after lunch. So that's about six hours into the day. Whereas television, you could be shooting anywhere between eight and 15 pages a day. Yeah. And it's, you just, you go, you go, you go. And with television, you usually have about eight days of actual filming to shoot that episode with usually one or two days of like a second unit to help pick up anything that you weren't able to get, insert shots, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if people realize that, right? Like if you were to estimate an episode of a a TV show is about eight days, eight to 10 if you're on the road for some of it. You know, I don't know if anybody has a clue how long it takes. I sure didn't, right? Like how long does an episode take? Oh, it's about eight to 10 days, you know, and you add that up with all of your episodes and editing and everything else. Like it's a lot going on. Which brings me to a feature, like, how did it feel working? So I know you worked on Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol with Tom Cruise. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah. What was that like, working on a feature? Because I've heard other people talk, go from TV to features, and maybe you hadn't done tons of episodic television yet. But what was the vibe working on a big feature with, like, you know, that's a blockbuster with a huge Hollywood actor? Um, the vibe was actually, it's very, very different than television. Um, this pace is a lot slower. Um, they take a lot more time on setting up their shots and um, it, you don't have as much pressure as a time, like as far as time constraint goes. But at the same time, the talent that you're working with, not just the actors, but the crew themselves, you, you get a lot of some amazing people from around the world. And it's just, I don't know, it's just such a different vibe. Um, I don't really know how to, I mean, the best way to really explain the difference is just the pace. Yeah. Like, yeah, and some people prefer the time. Other, right? Like, some people love features. They work for three or four months nonstop. And then, you know, then you have tons of time off if you want. And, and whereas a TV series, you might be working 10 months in a row. 
Exactly. And it's faster paced. Um, you don't have the time to set. you don't have three hours to set up one shot. You, you get to be done three scenes in three yeah. hours. I like both worlds. I really love television and episodic because I like how fast paced it is. You're go, go, go. So the next thing you know, your 15 hour day is over and right. it just flew by. Whereas in uh, features, those 15 hours can really take a long time. Yeah, it's like we're doing, you know, Tom Cruise is going to have an argument in a boardroom today. And you're like, what else? <laughs> well, that's it. That's all we're doing today. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're just going to do this one shot. Yeah. Um, at the same time, with features, you do a lot of stuff that you can't pull off in television because you have a bigger budget. So the stunts are way bigger. The yeah. sets are way more elaborate. So there's some, uh, there's cool factors on that side too that you don't get with episodic. And you're getting to see Tom Cruise do some of his stunts because I know he's famous for that. He absolutely is. And he is a fabulous guy. Uh, on this, In the scene in Mitch on uh, Ghost Protocol where uh, he's having that fight scene in the uh, moving the garage with the cars on the different levels. In the movie, when you watch it, you'll see that as he's falling with the bad guy, at one point he actually falls through a uh, like a windshield yeah. Kind of bump first and breaks through it. That was actually not part of the script and wasn't supposed to happen. I love those um, moments. Not him falling and hurting or anything, but like those impromptu moments. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, he was doing the stunt and just uh, the landing went off a little bit and he actually went through the windshield for real. He was absolutely fine. He was not hurt at all. Of course, you know, we had him checked out. The medics are always on set and we're completely all about safety. But, um, wasn't planned, but looked amazing. The cameras were just in the right position to catch it, and it made the movie. And I feel like he would be super amped that that happened because it's so badass, oh. right? He'd be like, keep he it. Totally yes. <laughs> he loved it. Um, he's the only actor I've ever worked with that does his own stunts. It's quite an insurance liability to do so, so most productions never allow it. But he's he a junkie, though, and- for the adrenaline, right? He totally oh, is. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but he loved it. He was just, he had a blast doing that kind of stuff. How did you feel on set? And I mean, maybe you didn't notice or not, but having a woman, you know, uh, guest, I always ask what it's like being on set because it has been a notoriously male industry. Um, what was your observations of that as you're moving through the ranks and, and differing shows in this city um, and, and then leading kind of till now? You know, I'd love your take on that. Yeah, it's definitely a male-driven uh, profession, especially in the assistant director world. I guess really in all all departments, it's very heavy on the male side versus females. And being an assistant director can be a little hard because we're kind of, I wouldn't say we're the boss because we're not, but we are kind of the ringleaders. Like yeah. we have to tell each department, you need to do this, you need to do that. This is when I need you here. I need this by this deadline. So you are kind of barking the orders, but you're just, you're because you're the center, uh, you're the hub of the communication. Yeah. So it can sometimes, I think, be a little hard to hear that coming from a woman. Yeah. Um, Nowadays, it's um, way better. When I started out, it definitely, I had my moments of, I would say, uh, you know, give an order or say, this is what I need, guys, where I would definitely get the, you know, the look over, smile, literally pat on the head and aren't you cute, sweetheart kind of attitude, which was just, it's, it's quite infuriating when you're like, I'm just, trying to keep up with the rest of you and to deliver a good product, guys. Like, I'm... Yeah, 100%. You had to work through that. Nowadays, I mean, it's changed a lot, a lot over the years since I've been doing it. The crew that I work with now are, I mean, they're amazing. Uh, The respect's there. And there's really, you don't actually even feel the difference, male, female. We're just all employees. We're all crew trying to get our job done and do the best possible um, job that we can. So it's definitely way better now, but it, it had its moments, um, you know, back in the early 2000s, it was still kind of an issue. Yeah, for sure. And I know Tony, like my husband's in lighting and he said, there's way more women even in lighting now, you know? Um, and it's a physical job. That's a physical job. Uh, not that women can't do it, but it is grueling physically compared to some other departments, right? It is. It's very grueling. It can be very physical. And I, I remember there were no uh, female electrics. There were no female grips. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, some of the best dolly grips, the ones that are, you know, pushing those really heavy cameras and making the shot seem seamless, uh, they're women. Yeah. Respect. Um, That's awesome. It really is. You see them, uh, we're crossing over into all the other departments. So uh, it's definitely, you can see the sway now before, let's say it was probably like a, 
85% male set back in the early 2000s where now you're, we're, we're pretty close to a 50-50, if not even starting to hinge more to a female-heavy crew. That's awesome. I love it. So when did you, let's talk about Supergirl, because I know that's been a huge defining moment of your career up till now, of course, and um, obviously on, on hold right now due to COVID. But when did you kind of, when did you join Supergirl? Well, uh, I was actually on uh, Christmas vacation in Mexico. And, oh, I thought uh, that was a I movie. <laughs> oh, no, no. Everything Mexico. sounds like a movie, right? I was I on Christmas vacation in Mexico, part three. <laughs> nope, actually a real vacation. A real vacation. Um, and uh, I had just finished a show before, so I, wasn't, I didn't have any plans to work on anything. And um, I get a call from Vancouver saying, um, hey, uh, we're looking for a second AD to come in to cover one episode after Christmas um, on Supergirl. Would you be interested? And uh, at first I was like, mm, not really. Uh, I had heard stories uh, about Supergirl because this, this would have been their season three that they were calling me for. And uh, I know that they had, a, they had a rough start in their first two seasons, getting their foot, footing and discovering themselves as a show and how they work. So I kind of didn't really want to do it. But at the same time, I was like, well, Christmas is going to end here soon. And we all know what the Chris, post-Christmas bills look like. So I figured... Sure, why not? Um, I'll come and do a episode. Yeah, because season one was, it was filmed in the States, right? It was filmed in the U.S. Yeah. And then they moved yeah. it up to Canada for season two. And you're right, tried, trying to find their footing in a new place um, and kind of shifting the look. Yeah, and shifting the storyline a bit, shifting some of the, mm-hmm. you know, the surrounds and her sets and things. So all of that, you're right. And then season three would have been the next stab at that. Exactly. And I mean, and, and it's with any show, really, whenever they start up a new season, it's the first season is always really grueling because you are, you're finding your footing, you're trying to find your groove, and eventually you do become a well-oiled machine. It's just getting there can be quite painful. <laughs> well, and I know, I remember you telling me uh, season one, you know, the actors work for you, season two, you work together, and season three, you work for the leads. <laughs> Yep, that's right. exactly how it the is. The power play no changes, right? Yeah. It does. It really does. And so I was coming in on a season three where now you work for the actors. Yeah. So um, it definitely just changes the dynamic. I mean, a set can be a very political place, especially uh, as an assistant director, because you need to kind of keep everybody happy. Yeah, you're like a really hard. You're like the middle child oh. on set, right? Oh, totally the middle child. <laughs> Keeping the, keeping the older siblings happy, keeping the babies happy, keeping them out of trouble, keeping oh, yeah. everybody for happy mom for mom and dad. dad. About all the bad things we do. That's right. Um, yeah. No, it's totally like that. So I, I was like, all right, you know what? I'll just, I'll come in. We'll do one episode. And um, I did. And I absolutely fell in love with the show. The crew was just top notch. One of the, probably the best I've ever worked with. The cast were fabulous. The producers, the production manager, uh, they were just, everybody was amazing. So they asked me if I would consider staying on. And I said, sure. And it's, you know, we just finished season five. So I've been there for a while now. Yeah. So season five. So you went through three, four, and five has just, did, did you, were you able to finish five? Uh, we were literally in the middle of shooting the finale when uh, everything got shut down. And it got shut down of, fast here. Like oh, it was, it, did. it was like it was one like a, day to the next. Yeah, I think it was Friday the thirteenth, where a lot of them were just like, "Yeah, eh, we're done, and we're, we're done. done." Yeah, yeah, that's perfect day. Much how it went. So we didn't finish shooting the finale, but we had enough footage along with the. The one right before the finale, obviously it hadn't aired yet. We had, we had just finished shooting it. That I believe the editors were able to cut together. It changed the end of the season a little bit than what was originally planned. But we were lucky enough to actually kind of put a, an ending to our season. Where I know a lot of other shows were a couple episodes away from their finale. I know. It's so, crazy. Um, I don't know we what they're going to do with that. You know, it's, there's a few hanging and there's rumors and stuff. And it's like, what are you going to do? Come back? Do you just start fresh? If it was the end, do you just shut it down? Like, big decisions, you know? And who knows? It is. Um, I think some shows will probably go with in the season there. And hope, I believe they try to edit it to where it'd be like on a major cliffhanger, which right. they don't really do as much anymore, but they would have to in this case. Um, some other shows, I think, are just going to try to pick up and finish their season. It just really depends where they were when we got uh, shut down. 
Yeah, it's this is nuts, you know, and like getting into time off. Uh, you know, I know a lot of parents that are home right now due to this, and I would say it's a it's an absolute shift in life at home as being a parent. Um, you know, especially for us as a as a parent of a six year old, Tony's been home indefinitely every day. Um, and at first they all went nuts because, you know, 15, 16 hours on set to zero um, and going yeah. to the park. <laughs> but he said now, he's like, I absolutely love it. Like, it's going to be weird to go back, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely had a, an issue with it. Like, at first I was like, this is awesome because I'm exhausted, burnt out. We were right at the end of our season anyway, and I was yeah. ready to be done. Yeah, you get, then you get there. after... A couple of weeks though, I was like, okay, now I'm getting bored. Yeah. I'm itching to go back itch. and have have that, you know, those fifteen hours where I'm go, 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 go. I'm not used to I get up and maybe work out. Yeah. Go for a walk, watch some TV, make lunch. Like I'm we don't have kids, so I don't even have a pet. So I really am down to limited activities. Yeah. I know I hear all the pet shelters are empty. Everybody's going to get a, a little pet now. I know, which I tried, but my husband is uh, quite allergic to pretty much everything, so that went out the window. <laughs> and, and plus, once once it's go time again, you're going to be like, how am I going to get that thing across the border? Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, oh, what do I do with you now? <laughs> yeah, it's such a strange time. And I mean, I think everybody's just sort of holding their breath and waiting to see what happens. I, I've heard some are going to pick up back in the fall, but I mean, there's so many unknowns right now. This is such a historical time. Yeah, this is something we've never, ever had to deal with or seen before. Um, from what I've heard, like, I've also only know rumors and what I hear on uh, TV and what I read. I know some shows are going to try to start up, uh, hopefully, in, like, September. Yeah. Um, I believe, uh, from what I've read, like, some are going to go mid-season and not start up till in the new year. Yeah, so it's just it's every studio and even studios that own multiple shows like Supergirl is also um, uh, well Arrow's done, but Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Batwoman, uh, we're all under the same studio. But at the same time, we are different shows and different showrunners. So it, it's really on an individual show basis of who's going to start when and what the rules are going to be, because we also have to come up with our unions have all been working together to come up with a new strict um set of rules that will apply on how we can make it a safe environment for everybody. Yeah, no more jelly bean jars at Crafty, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to miss those. <laughs> and then, of course, Melissa, like, expecting your lead, Supergirl, right? That was huge news in the spring. That was huge. We were all so excited for her. Like, we all love Melissa, so the idea of having a little super baby on the way, yeah. just, we were ecstatic. Um so in a way, this it kind of worked into our schedule because we, were, like I said, we were about to be on the finale anyways, right? Because we were going to start up earlier than other shows to try to accommodate for her schedule once yeah. uh, you know she has the baby and she needs to be at home and be with her kid and all that, and then start back up. So, I mean, I think it's probably worked out great for her. She's totally just enjoying that part of her life while the crew's getting a nice break. And then, you know, hopefully things will settle and we'll all come back together and we'll have a cute little baby we'll all get to meet. And Yeah, that's a big deal for a lead to have a baby, right? Like it, you'd be a bit concerned about your role. And so that says a lot about the show as well, that that, you know, was really welcomed and fine and just work, we'll oh, work around it. absolutely welcomed. You know? And she's so protected by every department. And like, I, I mean, we all love her and it's, because it's one of those shows where we also were very blessed to have a lead that has the crews back. She knows yeah. how hard we work. We know how hard she works. So there's that respect and that bond that we're on each side willing to give 110% to help the other. Yeah, because that can, you know, we all know rumors of other shows in Vancouver that have had opposite issues, right? And it's just, it's hell for everybody, right? It's hell. Absolutely. I did a show... Um, I won't say what or who, but the lead was (laughs) unbelievably hard to work with uh, for everybody. And I remember there was a day where um, I was a third AD on it. So I was at Circus in the AD trailer, minding my own business, working on paperwork. And I guess somehow this actor decided to go to set because usually as a third AD, your job is to knock on their trailer and say they're ready for you. So they're not just sitting around on set. I never did that. They were not ready for him, but he wandered out there anyways. (laughs) Well, he's the kind of actor that when he walks on set, he doesn't wait for 
them to finish, you know, do his finals on his makeup and us to tweak the lights. He's like, I walk in, you roll the camera. Mimi, so I'm dying to say who it is and I'm not going to. Uh, I'm dying to. <laughs> I know. I know, right? <laughs> Just look up Mimi's IMDb and why don't you do a guess and then I'll give you a prize, everyone out there, if you can figure out from Mimi's IMDb who it is. That sounds good. We can probably <laughs> figure it out from that. It's not Tom Cruise. Anyway. No, definitely no. not. Tom's a sweetheart. Let's cut him right out of that. Um, but he walks in. We're not ready. So he throws a hissy fit, storms back to his trailer, and on the way tells the producer, I want the AD at Circus fired. Oh, God. I have no idea this is going on. I'm in my little trailer world. Crunching numbers, doing timesheets, contracts, totally oblivious. Yeah. Um, yeah, producers walk in, and they're like, so... Um, Mr. So-and-so has just fired you. And I'm like, what? Immediately in tears. What did I do? I've been in the trailer. I've been super careful with him. He's the kind of actor you can't uh, actually make eye contact with, as in you're not allowed. And happily, Um, he's got a shit career now, everybody, just so you know, which is always nice to know. Yes. No Oscars. But the best part was the producer said, you know what? He'll forget about it in three days. Just hide so he doesn't see you. Work oh, in some other area. It'll be fine. So I did. And sure enough, three days later, I go back to work in my trailer. And he sees me and says, oh, eh, good morning. And kept walking by like, no idea that I was the chick he had just fired three days ago. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, too, because like what I hear from everyone is the, the A, A-list actors never act like that. Right? No, they're, they're, the they're From Matt Damon to like everybody that I've heard, they're absolute gems. And then as you start going further down the line, um, some of them get a lot meaner, you know? They do. And I don't know if it's to do with maybe an insecurity that they haven't completely made it to that top A-level star. Yeah. What it is. I'm not, uh, or not anymore, I'm not an actor. But um, yeah, the A-listers are like the creme to the creme. They're so professional. They're so kind. They know how hard everybody works. And it's kind of when you get, like you said, farther down the line, they're a little more difficult. Yeah. And it's already such a stressful job, right? It's so stressful. How do you manage your stress? Um, huh, a lot of massages. <laughs> You're probably the only one that uses any benefits. Everyone I know gets all these benefits and they don't have time to use any of them. Oh, yeah. Well, there isn't much time. I mean, literally my Saturday and Sundays when I am working is um, sleep late Saturday because we're usually on set late Friday. Yeah. Wake up just in time to maybe make some lunch, do some laundry, watch TV and go back to bed. And then Sundays, yeah, is when I try to squeeze in. uh, uh, We get a lot of benefits, like you said. We get massage therapists and chiropractor, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I have a great service that actually will come to my apartment. And uh, I can get my massages in home, which is yeah, awesome. that's handy. So I don't have to waste the time going out. So I'll get those. And then just, um, I do a lot of yoga now. I've gotten really into that. that Good for helps. you. That, that it would totally, um, I need to be doing some yoga. Uh, it, it helps. And I've started incorporating, I used to only do it on my days off. And now I've started doing it um, when I'm shooting. When I get home, I mean, even if it's just like a seven minute session of yoga, it makes a huge difference of once I lay down to go to bed, the stress is kind of gone. So it's it's all those little things just to kind of detach yourself or else you do you, you go crazy. Yeah, it can become your whole life. And I know it's hard to unwind. You oh, know? it does. You come home from set mm-hmm. and you, you kind of need some time to just sort of decompress because it's so hyper, um, all your senses, right? Like set is very high sensory. It is. It is. It's a huge, your adrenaline's running. And um, I joke because... I can have my radio in one ear listening to a conversation. I have my cell phone on the other ear on a, having a phone call. I have my iPad in my hand texting and writing up our schedule. And then I'm actually having a face-to-face conversation with someone at the same time. And then suddenly I'll turn around and yell out an answer because I heard someone ask a question, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah. Like all my senses are on. I can multitask crazy, which actually a lot of people make fun of me for. They're like, you're crazy. Well, that's perfect for, an a, for any AD role. That's amazing. You need it. It is. It actually, it comes in very handy. But yeah, you get home and you're just like buzzing. You're almost yeah. vibrating from this go, go, go that you just kind of just, you need like an hour to two hours to just completely decompress or else you go to bed and it's work nightmare after work nightmare after work nightmare. Oh, if you man. can even fall asleep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I know a lot of people, like I know some people that have left film, but the majority, I say, I would say stay. It's, it's, you're kind of like a, like a cultish family and it's hard to get off the train. You know, you like the ride. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen a lot of people come in like at the PA level and the, if they last more than two days, they'll be hooked. I, I see people, they come in, you get one taste and you're either in or you're out because it is, <laughs> it is kind of a crazy world. And I've seen so many people come in and be like, yeah, no, forget this. I know. And they, they get out. But then the rest of us, you get, you get the bite and you just, you're there for life. It's just, it's such an, a great, it's an amazing world to live in. It's creative. It's fun. It's fast paced. Every day is different. You have new sets, new locations. Like I've probably visited what I've seen of BC because of work. Like yeah, good the point. Interior, the island. I mean, just so many cool historic buildings that no one knows about. Rundown buildings, old factories. That's and true. That's to totally there. true. And you know what? We'll we'll go for drives to some you know obscure place, and Tony will like point at some old electrical building. He'd be like, "I shot a supernatural in there." It's like he's like the dad now, right? Like, yeah, shot Supernatural in there with the guys. I'm like, what? Did that abandoned electrical building? Yep. Did some <laughs> scenes in there. Like you start knowing all the places in town, right? We drove by a church in Ladner. I was like, that is such a beautiful church. He's like, oh, yeah, we shot some stuff in there. So you do. You get to see the most amazing interiors and places where nobody else is allowed to go. For example, that Rogers Sugar Factory, oh, you know, the one I've always oh, wanted yes. to see in there. And I'm so jealous oh. because all you film peeps get to go in there and shoot stuff. Oh, yeah. I've been there uh, at least a dozen times. See? What's it like um, in there? That place is amazing. Um, it's sticky. It's sticky. Are they <laughs> still using sticky. it? Uh, I don't know if they still use it or if they just haven't. I mean, we're always, if they, I, I imagine they're still using some areas. We always shoot in the non-functional areas. Right, yeah. But it's sticky. It has an interesting smell. Old sugar. the yeah, it, like rotten sugar almost. <laughs> rotten sugar, um, yeah. It has, the architecture inside though is really cool. Like there's just these crazy pipes and all these yeah. metal works and different levels. Like it just looks visually cool and has like the old, old windows high up. So it creates like shafts of light. Oh, and, um, a deep I mean, dream. Coolest, oh, absolutely. And one of the coolest things I ever shot there, we did a, uh, it was a TV series. And it was a stunt. We were actually outside one of the buildings on the factory, quite high up. I mean, it must have been at least 10 to 12 stories. Yeah. And we had a new stunt guy. Um, he was the son of a stunt coordinator. So he was 18, fresh, fresh meat into the uh, film crew. Yeah. Obviously grew up with a stunt dad, so he knew the world. But um, he actually jumped off this building. And I mean, we had like the retractor on it, so he did have some pull to keep him, you know, from actually. Oh, and the retractor. Tell people what the retractor is. Retractor. The you put the stunt guy into like a harness underneath his costume, and basically it's like I guess kind of like a a rope that's hooked onto the back of you, and launch yourself off these high areas, platforms, buildings, whatnot. And you basically free fall. It has a little bit of pull on you, but then it'll stop you right before you hit the bottom. Almost um, like a bungee cord. Yeah, with a stop. Basically, yeah. And um, we a lot of times we will use mats underneath um, or a pile of cardboard. Cardboard is a thing you could fall in a lot if you put enough of it. Like made of boxes or just empty, it creates quite a cushion. See, Mimi, we'll I keep trying to get out. I keep trying to get Simon Burnett on here. I keep trying to drag him onto my podcast because I want to know more about this. And he keeps declining oh, love me Simon. because he, he, I don't know, he's worried I'm going to ask him hard questions, but I'm psyched. I want to get him on here. So I'm, I'm going to shame him on this one as well. I just keep putting him in the episode. So he has no choice soon. Oh, it sounds a like a plan. A, that'd be awesome. Simon's a great guy. I know. Such an amazing uh, stunt coordinator. Like I love working with him. He's just so talented. So what happened to the stunt guy at the Rogers? Um, yeah. Refinery? So he was, you know, just a, fresh little kid. And, uh, of course, as with any stunt, we're always nervous. We want to make sure everything goes right. And, um, it did, it was amazing watching this kid jump off this building. We did it with cardboard boxes. So he actually lands in them. And what was so amazing about it is that nowadays we don't do a lot of those kind of stunts anymore. A lot of it has now gone to Viz Effects for safety reasons, which is totally understandable, and I get it, and it just makes puts everybody else everybody at ease. Mm-hmm. But this is back when we were still doing a lot of practical stunts, and it was just one of the best jumps I've ever seen. Like it really looked like he smacked the crown, and it was just 
it was perfect. And it, uh, he nailed it to the point, like now he's a full-time regular stunt guy working in Vancouver. Uh, I see him all the time on so many shows and he's just a great guy. And it's happy to see that he got to kind of start his career with that big first jump with us. Yeah, and you see a lot of that, right? You see people, and then years down the road, you're like, oh, man, like, everybody's blossomed and gone into full-fledged careers, you know? Yeah, you kind of get to see everybody grow up. Like, all, uh, I see it on Supergirl a lot. Like, a lot of the people um, I was PA, a, a PA with. Like, we were these, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kids trying to make movies together, yeah. fetching coffees and stuff, and now we're running our own departments, and we're the bosses, and we're the ones that are now in charge. And it's kind of cool when you on to a show of crew and you're like, oh my gosh, remember when we used to like, you know, lay down all the plywood so we went ruin that lady's lawn with our equipment and now yeah. we're the ones telling the yeah, new kids to lay down the, you know, the Well, that's when you realize so. you're getting older, right? Because you're like, those adults, yeah. quote, are now me. Those roles are now me. I'm the adult. I know. What the hell happened, it's, right? It's horrible. I remember being like, man, those people are so old. Look at them. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm that person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm training the new kids coming in. And it's it's kind of surreal. For, for like, it's just, whoa. Well, I look forward to season six whenever it starts. I mean, everybody's waiting with bated breath, you know, how it's going to start and when and what. Um, but until then, I mean, I would just say soak up the beach, sister. Oh, that's basically what I was doing. We finally hit the beach for the first time, actually, last week. It's been closed. Um, oh, right. Up, yes, of then- course. Sure enough, I'd go to the beach and then get home and see on the news that there was all these shark sightings like 10 feet from the shore because no one's been in the water. So all the sharks have now come into South Beach. Interesting. For all I know, I've been swimming with sharks this week. Yeah, you're like, am I going to, is COVID going to get me or am I going to get my leg chopped off? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fun choices. Both less stressful than set, probably. (laughs) You know what? I would say so, yeah. Right. A pan- if you if you have to say maybe the pandemic isn't as stressful as said, it's like that that'll tell you whether you can go into film or not. Exactly. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm super excited that you made time for me and your very busy schedule down there. Oh, so busy. Yeah, all that yoga. All that yoga. I know. Namaste right there. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, well, good luck. Yeah, good luck. And I'm obviously we'll see on this side of the border when things pick back up and Best of luck on season six whenever it does start. And your what are your first AD on that? Um, well, I'm going in officially as the second AD, but yeah. um, I have been offered and I've accepted uh, a couple episodes as a first AD. What? So, uh, I Amazing. Be, I actually, I did my first episode as a first AD actually on season five. I did get to do my first one as a trial run, and I guess they were happy because now they've offered me uh, more this season, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Well, that's super exciting. Congrats. Make that, the shift. Thank yes, you. Yes, that's a great way to like end it on a high note. Good for you. You get to get yeah, back in there soon excited. to uh, not base camp, but circus. Yeah, exactly. Circus. <laughs> the circus within the circus. Awesome. It totally is. Thank you, Mimi. All right. Thanks, Colby. Thanks. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Totally. Thanks so much. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love, just share it. <laughs> <laughs>